Welcome to the New Mana Podcast, an Arch KCK production. Welcome back to New Mana, your newest favorite Catholic podcast on the Holy Eucharist. My name is Lee McMahon, your host, and I serve as consultant for evangelization at the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. But don't be fooled. If you've got a pulse, this podcast is for you. If you are hungry for more, if you are fed up with the empty promises of the world, Jesus has more for you. We have been called to communion in Christ. We have been given the mission of bringing people to Jesus and bringing revival to the church. So our title, New Manna, comes from John 6, 58. Jesus ends his, his, uh, his discourse, his John 6 discourse, and he says, This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus is the new manna. He is the bread of life, and he gives himself totally to us today and every day, completely in the Holy Eucharist. Guys, I'm really excited about our episode today. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, can't wait to give you the deets, but here, really quick, wanted to say thank you. Thank you, thank you for everybody out there who has left a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You're helping us get the word out that Jesus is alive, that he is about a good work, and that he is truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the most holy Eucharist. Seriously, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because of your ratings, because of your, uh, you know, just click all those five stars, because of your reviews, we've reached 19 countries in five continents. It's just insane. Thank you, Jesus, for technology. It's amazing. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you have not yet left a review, don't worry, there's still plenty of time. As long as you're not driving, you should do it right now because you rock and Jesus is worth it. So today, I'm actually, this is actually a co-hosted episode. I'm here with the one and only Miss Emily Lopez. Hello, Emily. Hello. Yes, so we're, we're co-hosting this bad boy of an episode today, and uh, we've got some awesome guests, but rather than me butchering it and doing just a, a subpar job, I'm going to throw it over to Emily, and she's going to introduce our guests. Yeah, we're really excited to actually be on campus at Benedictine College uh, doing this recording, and to have a couple of Benedictine's finest uh, faculty with us and staff to share some of their insights. Uh, not only are these great men, but they happen to be friends, so I'm very happy to be able to co-host this episode today with Lee. Uh, we're joined by Matt Moeller, who serves as Associate Professor of Theology and also the Director of the Symposium for Transforming Culture, which if you not have not heard of, you should check it out. It's offered during the summer, uh, open to the public. The last couple of summers, they have been really focused on the Eucharist and what that means as we grow as Catholics in our faith. Also joined by Dean Joe Wirtz, who serves at Benedictine College as the Dean of Students. Welcome very much. Thanks. Good to be here. It's great to be back. And little known fact, Emily and I were peers at Benedictine College, so it's great to sit across from you, Emily. Uh, Not that long ago. A lot of great memories. Ago. Not that long Not ago. Not that long ago. Just yes. yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. A couple weeks ago, <laughs> something right. like that. That's right. I think we now actually both have children attending Benedictine College. We do. So maybe more than a couple weeks, but definitely not that long. But not right, much not much more than that. That's right. <laughs> it's so cool to to meet you and to to see everything that the Lord's doing through you and just your impact here. Um, again, we, we kind of just met, but I already can sense your impact is larger than life. Can I play that back for my wife? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> larger go ahead. than life. I, that's awesome. Larger Lee. than life impact. Such a generous, yeah, just such a to, generous man you are. Just getting the bar way up there. <laughs> um, so who who are you? What's your state of life? Um, tell us a little bit about uh, your season of life right now. 
Go or, for it, sir. No, I'm going to defer to you. All right, I'll go ahead then. <laughs> well, yeah, so I, uh, I'm, as uh, you heard, I'm an associate professor of theology here at Benedictine College. Um, I'm an alum of Benedictine and a convert to the faith while I was here. We'll talk about that maybe more. Sure. Uh, it'll tie into the Eucharist some. Um, but yeah, I, I live here in town, and I have four little kiddos. Um, Anthony's 10. Yes, he's now 10. Owen's now 7, just a week ago. And then Juliana's 4, and Helena's 2. Um, my Owen plays with uh, Dean Wirtz's son on baseball team. Had a game last night. We'll see you out there tomorrow night, too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I get you know it's a blessing to be back here. It's a, it's a great community. It's a great college to work at, but it's also a great Catholic community to live in. Yeah. Uh, and we're just really blessed to, to be to be here, you know. That's awesome. I've I've got a four year old, a two year old, and a nine month old. Nice. So we're we're both changing diapers, it sounds like yeah. a little bit. <laughs> we just moved out of diapers. You you just our two and a half surpassed. year old just conquered. Nice. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. I mean, it was might be a miracle. You might yeah. we might need an investigation <laughs> into that because it was it was pretty awesome. I'm just impressed Matt got the name and ages right. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That, that's a good this yeah. is going to be a good day, especially with birthday season going on right <laughs> yeah. now. It's birthdays all over the place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, I had a big parenting win yesterday. So my son, um, I'm, I'm on my way to put my youngest to bed and, <laughs> and I've got, got the bottle, whatever, you know, he's, he's wailing cause he's tired and he's hungry and whatever. Ezra, my, my nine month old. And I'm walking up the stairs and then I look to the right and I look out the porch and my son, Josiah, our four year old has blood covering his entire face. And it's just like, it's gushing. And I'm like, what is it that's bleeding? I don't know. And then I look down and my, there's, there's vomit running down my leg. And I'm like, what is going on right now? <laughs> oh, it's, it's just a beautiful parenting moment. That's right. Uh, yeah. This is why we All those that. bodily fluids yeah. just right. coming out. It was almost the Holy Trinity. Yeah, know, right. Did. did somebody pee themselves? Or, yeah, yeah. I'm just waiting for Ezra to, to, to poop all over me. So. Living the dream. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Uh, yeah. So... Well, thanks for sharing like the, the tidbit about your season yeah. of life. We'll throw it to Mr. Dean Joe. Yeah, thank you, Lee. It's a great honor to be with you and, and, and your audience today, and especially with Matt, a uh, good old friend. And, mm -hmm. and the work we do together is very important here at Benedictine, and, and I know we'll cover some of that. So I've been at Benedictine College almost 20 years. So uh, grew up Credo Catholic, came to Benedictine College as a transfer, uh, pursuing the faith, really. I never left the faith. I always went to Sunday Mass. I was a cradle Catholic all through my life, Catholic education, until my first year and a half of college, and then ended up going to large state school, transferred to Benedictine because of the philosophy department, mm. um, and really had a love there. And it's there that I deeply encountered our Lord, and particularly through adoration. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd never been to adoration uh, growing up in all those Catholic schools unfortunately, until I went and visited my brother, who is a graduate of Benedict, and he was at Wichita at the time doing his medical residency. And his wife took me to the parish, and she was explaining adoration. And here I am, you know, 20 years old, and I didn't know what it was, right? And so that was a key moment, and uh, maybe we'll come back to why in, in the um, future of adoration and sure. how it worked in my life later. So Cool. And your your state of life. So you got you got kiddos. Yeah, sorry, got, I should have no, said it's that. All good. For my wife's sake, good. I am married. Uh, <laughs> six kids. We have three boys, three girls. Nice. Oldest just finished her first year at Benedictine College. My youngest is four. So there's nice. quite a quite a spread. Um, but That's yeah. healthy. I love that because yeah. like your your older kids get to see uh, just like what it means to be responsible and caring yeah. at the same time. Yeah. I don't know. I I saw that when my my wife's family. Okay. Uh, the oldest is like, I don't know, 14 to 16 years older, I think, yeah. than the youngest. So similar situation. And it was cool to, to observe that as 
everybody came of age. It is true to see the generosity come out of your kids when they're, you know, helping you caretake. And uh, all of my kids are very good. They have great instincts that way, maternal mm-hmm. or paternal instincts. So it, it is a beautiful thing to watch. Yeah. So take me back to the beginning. What's your story of falling in love with Jesus like? Yeah, I can take, I'll go, I guess. So I, it starts here at Benedictine College, uh, really. I mean, I grew up as a Lutheran, in a Lutheran family, kind of, but sports was the religion of my right. house. Right. And uh, so in high school, we went like Christmas and Easter, stuff like that. But I always had a basketball tournament or something going on. Uh, but I got, I came to Benedictine on a basketball scholarship and that's the reason why I came. I, uh, I wanted to do athletic training and play basketball and, uh, but I was open enough. I was kind of curious about religion and, yeah. and I really had this kind of question of like, do I need to believe in God to lead a good life? Can I just be a good person? Sure. And that kind of thing. Um, and early in my freshman year, I had a friend, uh, invite me to a focus event. Focus, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students, just got its start here at Benedictine, uh, was a really active group, and they did this monthly event, and a friend invited me to it. So I went and hung out there, and it was it was nice. And then it would end just in time for everyone to go to Mass in the evening. I think it was mm-hmm. a 9 o'clock Mass. And my friend invited me to Mass, and I was like, no, I'm not Catholic, and I, I'll pass. Sure. And they said, no, you'll love it. You, you'll really like it. You know, Father Brendan gives really good homilies. And I said, okay, sure, I'll go. And it was really interesting. I remember being very confused. And they kind of warned me. The good thing yeah. about it, right, is like, if you're going to invite a friend to Mass who's never been, warn them. It's going to be it's weird. It's going to be weird. You're going to feel awkward. But just just hang in there. Like, Just come check it out. You know, It's going to be weird. Um, and they prepped me for that. And it was weird. But there's something about it. And it was Father Brendan like, knew I was coming. His homilies were just nailing me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Uh, that was my first experience of mass. And I remember talking to my friend afterwards and thinking, everyone's so sad. Like everyone seems so somber. Mm, and they would try to explain the difference between like sadness and like reverence and the need to, uh, you know, be really attentive to the presence of Christ in the Eucharist and the presence of the Lord in, in throughout the mass. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. And for some reason I kept going on Wednesday nights because Father Brendan had gave good homilies mm. and there was just something I felt. I guess I felt nourished by it. I didn't go on Sundays though, because I thought you only had to go once a week. And that like Sunday was like the day most people went, but I right. could go on Sunday, right? Uh, intro to theology, Dr. White straightened that out for me. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so my freshman year, I, I kind of went to mass off and on, sometimes with friends, you know. Um, but what really clicked for me was after my freshman year, I went back home and I thought, well, okay, this church thing's good, but at Benedictine, I'm around Catholics all the time. Mm-hmm. Maybe... I should try out the other churches too. And so I went to a Nazarene church with a friend. I checked out the Methodist church. I checked out a few different churches. And by the end of the summer, I had this sense of like, they're great, great music, super nice people, good message, but something is missing. Something is different Hmm. at Catholic mass. It's not happening here. And came back to campus my sophomore year. And I just kind of had this realization that it's Christ in the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. Like they don't have Christ in the Eucharist there. Um, and so my sophomore year, I was basically knew that Christ was really present in the Eucharist. He had founded this church. And if you're going to be a Christian, you should be a Catholic Christian. But then it took me a little while to decide, like, do I actually want to live that out? You Mm -hmm. know, but it was through the experience of, uh, Christ in the mass and that sense of his presence there, uh, that was really sold me on the Catholic faith. Mm. Um, so I would say that's, 
Yeah, it was the experience of wow. seeing him there and then the absence of Christ. Yeah. Not to like put down our Protestant brothers and sisters, For right? Sure. They're doing beautiful things, right? But I just felt it's yeah, a difference. You have to acknowledge the difference that, yeah. you know, that, that that's not there. But yeah. it, it is interesting that currently there's a big communion revival happening in the Protestant world. And hmm. uh, it's funny, like I've, I follow a lot of these these pages and these churches on Instagram and, and Facebook and stuff, and a lot of them understand the Eucharist better than most Catholics do. Wow! <laughs> but they <laughs> but they don't have the the Eucharist. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's just interesting to see that this there's this emphasis and desire for communion, tangible, physical, mm. carnal communion. Mm. Like it's so mm. close. Yeah. The fire is there. The kindling is there. Yeah. Like people are trying to start that fire mm -hmm. and yeah you're right it's truly only found in the catholic church yeah in the mass yeah praise god no it's so good it's like i think it was in my so later in my sophomore year probably like spring semester there was a men's retreat mm. at a church like an hour and a half north sure. of campus here and guys like twisted my arm and dragged me up there right good but you know i i gave in right so there's something the lord was working and I remember we, they had an adoration throughout the night and you had to sign up mm. for an hour. And I don't know if I got the sign up sheet late or what, but I got like three to 4 a.m. Brutal. And so we were sleeping on the hard floor of the elementary school. And then someone came and woke me up at three. And I don't even, I'm not Catholic yet. I don't even decide to become Catholic. <laughs> I'm still kind of on the fence about things. And I had to go in to this church. Basically, there was maybe one other person in there uh, and sit in adoration from, mm. from three to 4 a.m. And I can still picture it being there and thinking yeah. like, yeah, something, something real is happening here. Something, mm -hmm. something different about this place. Um, and it was shortly after that, that I kind of right. got off the fence, right. And said, okay, I'm going to do this. And it's, it's so beautiful to note that your friends, like it's your friends that invited you in. And that's, that's the way, like, that's the way it's always been is per invitation, um, either, uh, implicit or an explicit uh, invitation, right? So I remember going to mass for the first time with my now wife and her family. Um, but she asked me when we were just dating in high school, we're high school sweethearts. Yes, it's adorable. <laughs> um, but she asked me to go to mass. She was like, I don't know what you're doing on Sunday, but, uh, would you want to come to mass with me and my family? We go at this time or whatever at Corpus Christi in Lawrence, Kansas. And, um, I'm like, Oh, that sounds great. Uh, what's mass? I'm just like totally ignorant and beautifully so. It's just, but anyway, just seeing them sing the Gloria and, and seeing them just locked in the whole time um, was, a, it drew me. It drew mm -hmm. me. It was this, this, um, this inviting, mm -hmm. implicit witness. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I want what they have. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just the invitation of a friend uh, to get in. Uh, it's wonderful. Uh, and who, who is the, who was the pastor who gave these awesome homilies? Uh, Father Brennan Rowling, yeah, nice. uh, a monk from the Abbey here, from St. Benedict's Abbey here. Yeah, um, I would not be here without Father Brendan. So uh, the Lord put, in, put him in my life, and uh, he had a big impact. Well, and like with many others, too, and I'm not the only one. But. What would you say made his homilies so impactful for you? You know, he just had an ability to speak to... I actually got to work with him when I came back here. I started in ministry, and he was still working on campus, and... Uh, he would say often to the students, um, give them what they need wrapped in what they want. And as just a, just a little catchphrase to kind of think about like trying to f identify what are the students seeking? What are they desiring? Um, and then how do you 
give them the object of their desire, in this case, Christ, the desire for, mm. for wholeness and for meaning and purpose, um, in a way that they're going to be able to see it, you know, and, and be open to it. And so he's had an ability to uh, break things down into kind of simple concepts mm. and then, but they would always be really meaningful. Like if he had a sense of what people, especially good young people desired. Right. Uh, and he could, he could connect the gospel to those desires really well. That's a great line. And I think that's key for ministry everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not that we're trying to be deceptive or sneaky or whatever, but <laughs> right. Right. But yeah. I mean, it's, it's Jesus, you know, it's, he's giving them what they need wrapped in what they want. Like he's, they're hungry. Yeah. You know, Hey, let's give them some food. Right, you know that he he knows that they need food, but he they knows that um, they want food, but they they need something so much more yeah. than just this food, right? Yeah, come yeah. on. It's St. Paul's. I become all things to all men in order to yeah. save some, right? Like yeah, he's gonna. Uh, he's not lying to them. He's not deceiving right. them, but giving them giving what they need, wrapped right. in what they want. I, like, I like right. that. Yeah. So. That's a good line. Cool. Yeah, Joe. What about you? Yeah, like I said, I was fortunate uh, in my upbringing, raised Catholic, went to some great Catholic schools growing up, had loving parents and a real loving family. So those seeds were planted long ago. Yeah. But I think my real encounter, if you will, with the Lord came in college. And it started intellectually, um, reading philosophy, mm -hmm. theology, um, and it sparked something in me. So that's why I transferred to Benedictine. And at Benedictine, met then Brother Brendan, uh, and a guy named Ted Shree, oh, yeah. who became mentors. Guy. He's a guy. Yeah, now <laughs> Dr. Shree. Yeah. So, and then through that relationship, that friendship, it was introduced to focus, mm. right? And then, uh, as you heard Matt say, we, we kind of launched here. So that was pivotal in my, my own spiritual maturation, uh, encountering the Lord through friendship, theological discussion, philosophical discussion, right. deeper prayer life, mental prayer, and again, going back to adoration, like being introduced to adoration, all my major life decisions, if I were to look back, occurred in adoration. Right? It's good formation. So, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, the, the Lord spoke to me in those moments. Right. Mm. In college, I remember Ted Shree approaching me and he says, hey, have you ever heard of uh, Focus? I said, no. Have you ever heard of Curtis Martin? No. I mean, very few people have. Mm. Right? He's like, I want you to do this uh, internship with us. Um, it's unpaid. It's in Steubenville, Ohio, and it's for eight weeks. And immediately, my, yeah, immediately my thought is no, and <laughs> probably hell no, yeah. uh, because I was faced with a, another decision of going home. Uh, I was uh, lifeguarding and managing a pool, and I was going to make a significant amount of money. It was in Phoenix get where all tan. my friends were, get tan. I'm still recovering from that lack of tan. <laughs> I missed out on that summer. So I was like, there's no way. But there is that still small voice and taking that to prayer and adoration yeah. is like, okay, Lord, this sounds crazy. I don't want to do this. In fact, I really don't want to do this, but I'm trying to be open, mm. right? And so in my head, I had these you know, wrestling matches with the Lord of like, all right, Lord, I, this doesn't seem like a good thing, but yet there's this naggingness like, yeah. hey, you ought to think about this. So I did, I took that leap and that decision changed the trajectory of my life, I think it's fair to say. The second time, most telling in adoration, I'm, uh, Meg and I, we were thinking about getting engaged and going through that process of discernment, right? And so I remember the night before I was gonna propose, I sat in adoration, right, for my adoration hour. This is in Denver at the time, I was a focused missionary. I'm sitting in this chapel and the person behind me doesn't come. 
right? So I'm like, okay, I'll do another hour, Lord, in this discernment, right? right. Well, that person's substitute didn't come. So there I am three hours, right? So I think I was 9 p.m. to midnight. Megan is trying desperately to get a hold of me. We don't have cell phones for your younger audience. We live without <laughs> cell phones. That actually it's happened. Possible. It's possible. Well, I carried an atlas in my car. I didn't have GPS. Anyway. So safe. So safe. Yeah. And there was no phone in the adoration job. So I'm literally there three hours. And I'm like, all right, Lord, do you just need more time for me to you know, discern through this? Right. Uh, but it was very clear at, at the end of those three hours with our Lord what I was supposed to do. Mm. And uh, that, again, trajectory changed my life course. Right? Wow. So those are just two. And we've had adoration hour ever since before we were married. And there are so many moments I could reflect on how the Lord has spoken to me in adoration. Talk to me right. more about that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So like adoration clearly <clears throat> sounds like it's, you know, very important for you, like mm -hmm. in your life and, and your uh, conversion or just ongoing um, deepening of mm -hmm. faith. Um, but like, how is it that the Lord I mean, mm -hmm. spoke to you, mm -hmm. as you say, mm -hmm. and made it clear. What what was mm -hmm. it, if you could point to like some fruits or? It's funny, because most of my professional career, I mostly listen, right, mm -hmm. to people, right? So in adoration, um, I'm, I'm naturally predisposed, I guess, to listen, yeah. right? But also in those moments to really wrestle with the Lord. I think being real in those moments, like, all right, Lord, this is, you know, a challenge to me, or yeah. I, I don't get what we're, what's going on here. Like I, I, I straight talk maybe is the best way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> I really have those kind of conversations and for whatever reason, mass, uh, as beautiful as it is, I don't have those maybe conversations like I do in right. adoration. There's, there's, there's a time and place for that kind of, and, and, and I like to think through things. And I like to think with our Lord in, in those yeah. quiet times in adoration. So it literally is like a conversatio. Like I'm like, Lord, yeah. okay. You know, and I think for whatever reason, that's the way I hear him better. Yeah. Again, I don't want to take anything away. Mass is beautiful and it's obviously part they're of different. our life. They're just, yeah. they're different ways in which I've seen the Lord work interiorly. So yeah. if I know I'm going to face a big decision, I'm going adoration. Right. I know that. I know he invites me there for, you know, in, in, in my past. I've seen all these major decisions all occur through those conversations. Mm -hmm. right? When we sit in the presence of our Lord, which is what adoration is, ad to adore, like getting your Latin etymology mm -hmm. book out, is just to, to, to look mm -hmm. at, to, to face, adorar, is to like to turn one's face to something. Uh, so when people say, oh, that's adorable. Yes, mm -hmm. it is. Like, oh, I want to look and focus and pay attention and look at this thing. Um, but yeah, we'll, when we're in the presence of our Lord in adoration, um, we allow ourselves to be renewed. Um, it's as if, um, I'm trying to think of an example. It's like um, a holy UV light for your phone thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like you got they got these new things where you can just put your phone in this and it totally like sanitizes it or whatever. Uh, wow. sure, but sure. but yeah. like, but the same thing happens like, with our Lord in the Eucharist and when we are in front of him, uh, we just get the suntan kind of the, yeah, uh, that's the, right. the tan that's that right. you I got, a, uh, I got a tan. That's right. That's <laughs> right. It came back to me. Good call. The tan that you surrendered um, in Phoenix uh, came to you nonetheless. Absolutely. Um, I wish I could tan. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, the renewal of the mind that takes place in his presence is so real. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. But yeah, just the, the power of sitting in his presence. Amen. Yeah, and the mass is more of an active mm -hmm. corporate work, which is what liturgy means. Yeah. 
this corporate work, us coming together and, and doing this thing mm-hmm. together. It's not, uh, I, I, I'm here to just purely receive. Mm-hmm. I'm here to sacrifice mm-hmm. and worship. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just different that's context. Right. That's right. Yeah. 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 It's well done. I want to yeah. throw in here because Joe probably won't say this about himself, but I was on campus, so I'll say this about him. That little internship he's talking about mm-hmm. with Focus, I think it's well known at this point, especially locally, that Focus started at Benedictine College, but Focus started with three people, mm-hmm. and it was a professor and two students, and Joe was one of those students. Mm-hmm. No big so, deal. So, yeah, no, I mean, it was no. just this internship, right? <laughs> um, but really, it was, you know, Professor Ted Sree and, and Joe and then Beth Schluter at that time, mm-hmm. who became Beth Sree. But they took on the responsibility to some degree, who knew if that mm-hmm. was what they knew going into sure. the, the internship, but really to, to carry that mantle back to Benedictine and hold that for the student body to dive into mm-hmm. and, and receive that. So really, if, if there is a I don't know if it's mother, father, mm-hmm. maybe brother, sister, or focus. It, it's Joe and Beth for what mm-hmm. they um, really invested, the time they gave their yes to God. Mm-hmm. I mean, that fiat, our yes, we have no idea mm-hmm. not only what God wants to do in our life with that, mm-hmm. but how he wants to use us to do incredible things. Yeah. I mean, at the time, that was this That's right. ridiculous pipe dream. Like, who could have thought that anything Catholic could happen you know, comparable to Campus Crusade right. for Christ or something. That's you know, right. it was one of these like dreams like we have now, yeah. you know, oh, if only, if only the world this and if only that happened. And because of Joe's yes, right. that if only happened. Yeah. So I just want to well, affirm you in that. Thank you, Emily. Thank that you. It, it was so worth giving up that. the tan. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. It seems so shallow now looking back. You're like $5,000 in a tan, right? Come on. Uh, I gave that up and it changed my life. That's the, the humor in it all, right? Like you said, our yes sometimes seems like a little awe, right? We're like, all right, Lord, seriously, you're asking me to do this. I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. And then he opens the floodgates of generosity, Mm -hmm. right? We always said God cannot be outdone in generosity. And it's true. I've lived it. I've experienced it. I know you've experienced Mm -hmm. it. I'm sure I know Matt has. For sure. And God is just like, listen, fool, right? Trust me, (laughs) right? And he's, he affirmed that time and time again. But mm-hmm. that's one of those great moments where it's like, yeah, I was holding on to this little thing that I was like, oh, I really like this. And all of a sudden, God's like, dude, give me that to me. Mm-hmm. And you have no idea yeah. what's mm-hmm. in store. Because yeah. during that internship, that's where I met my wife. Yeah. Right? Like I said, there were so many things that happened as a result of that decision that changed the course of my life. Right. And, you know, honestly, because of your yes, uh, could be part of the reason that I'm sitting here in this chair right now. Because I wasn't necessarily all gung-ho Catholic going into uh, my, my time at KU, mm. um, but the University of Kansas, but uh, it's per the invitation of a focused missionary to come and play Frisbee. Mm. Yeah, that's that wild. I met all my best friends that I still have to this day and <laughs> got me awesome. roped into the St. Lawrence Center at KU, and it was just, honestly, mm. something so well, small that seemed insignificant. Yeah, the, the fruit is uh, right here. Praise God, praise yeah. God. And yeah. it's the enemy is trying to convince us that our yes, no matter how small, uh, is, is, is insignificant, that mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter. Right. But, but man, but it does. if we just right. listen to that still small voice, like you said, and just trust and mm-hmm. are faithful to the little moment, to the little yes, the little opportunity, the Lord just dumps it out. Yeah. yeah. And we see this in parenting, right? Emily, mm-hmm. we were talking about this earlier. Like, <clears throat> you look at your kids and you're like, all right, trust me with this decision, right? And they're like, no, you know, especially teenagers, right? It's like, <laughs> oh, you got nothing. 
Mm -hmm. I always said, I'll take 20 infants versus one teen, but <laughs> I have very good teens. Uh, if you're listening, kids, uh, I love you <laughs> Daddy very much. Loves you. I love you. You're all awesome. And they really are. They're, they're tremendous. But there are those moments where you look back and you're like, all right, the fatherhood of God looking at us mm -hmm. with his loving uh, eyes and his mercy. Yeah. Uh, you really see that deeply in parenting. Yeah. Right? Uh, so, uh, Matt, tell me more about this process of being Lutheran. And then realizing that the church, like the Catholic Church, has what you're hungry for. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say we were good Lutherans. It's part of the deal, right? <laughs> uh, but I, some, you know, I'll tell it here, but like, I remember as a kid, probably in fifth grade, sure. sixth grade, something like that, at our Lutheran church, it was Missouri Synod, for those who are asking at home, right? Which Lutheran <laughs> church, right? Um, it was Missouri Synod, and they had communion distribution most every Sunday, but you went up. And yet you walked up and you like received the little the cracker and then you picked up this little glass that had wine or mm -hmm. juice in it. And I never went up. I was like completely, for some reason, I just wasn't comfortable with it. So my mom and dad would go up there and I'd sit in my chair. And then this one weekend, I remember going up there and uh, I took the little, the bread, and ate it and then got my little cup. And I didn't sure. realize that one was grape juice and one was wine. I got the wine cup. I remember took the drink of wine and as little kids do when they have a sip of alcohol, you know, their face puckers up and then mm -hmm. we'll, you know, I was like, oh, that was terrible. Right. I like, <laughs> never went up again. And I just look back as like, it's kind of funny that like, yeah, mm -hmm. I guess I was, I was meant to receive there you go. the real presence. Right. Um, but yeah, so I, I had good friends in high school who were active Christians and I found myself enjoying their friendship more than some of the other ones I had, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but it was really coming here and, uh, I was just looking for, for meaning really. I wanted to know like, what was the purpose of life, right? Sure. What did, did it matter? Did anything matter at all? Like that's essentially my question. I can't, do I need, do I just go through life like being nice or being a good person? Uh, or is there actually a reason for all of this? Right. Um, and I had, I heard those answers like, yeah, in the church. Right? Um, and of course, uh, the, the greatest thing the church has to offer is Christ. Right. And, uh, and so, uh, it was coming to realize that right, and being willing to get turn away right from yeah. some of the other things in life that I was attached to um, and and be willing to give that up and sort of like I use I use the analogy a lot with students talking about being on the fence mm -hmm. or trying to be in the world and uh, have a foot in the world and a foot out of the world and try right. to play both sides um, and how you know Christ calls us over and over to to leave right? yeah. to, to turn your back right to, to convert turn around right um, and uh, it was that sort of needing to just finally say yes, right. totally to the Lord. Right. And your what year uh, did this all kind of like click for you? Yeah, so it was like 2004, and then I came into the church in 2005. So, so RCIA my junior year. Okay, here. so junior year of college. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Um, what was that process like in college going through RCIA? RCIA, what is that? And Oh, yeah, yeah. So RCIA is... Uh, Right of Christian Initiation for Adults. Uh, so, we love our acronyms. In the that's church. right. So, you got to have them. And, uh, yeah. So, you know, as Catholics, we'll, we'll baptize the babies, uh, we'll baptize our, our babies and infants. Uh, but once you get old enough, you don't just get to have your baptism whenever you mm -hmm. want it, right? We, it's a, Becoming Catholic is not, uh, it's a commitment to Christ, right? It's a commitment yeah. to his, the wholeness of Christ, which is in the Catholic faith. And so, uh, our freedom needs to be totally engaged in that, right? And so through the, the right of Christian initiation for adults, make sure that uh, adults have the full knowledge of what they're they're getting into. They can deepen their faith and understanding of what they're going to commit to when they yeah. enter into the church. 
uh, I got to do that here at Benedictine College. So I was surrounded by some uh, other uh, classmates who are going to go through this as well. Yeah. Um, and then I got into a Bible study yeah. with Focus. Uh, started taking, took a theology class again. I hadn't taken a theology class for like a year. Um, and it just started, this hunger was growing in me. I said, mm. I need more. I need more. Why did someone not tell me these things, yeah. especially the moral life that the church proposes? Why didn't people tell me this before? Right. Mm. Um, I made so many mistakes. <laughs> things would have been a lot easier. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I just got this great hunger for yeah. knowing the faith and then trying to help other people see it and other yeah. people hear it. Uh, so I ended up my senior year, I switched my major to theology and uh, knew I wanted to do something yeah. serving in the church uh, soon after that. Um, but you know, it was a great, I, I learned to pray, you know, through RCIA, mm. learned to make prayer as a routine, a habit. Uh, now Abbot James for the St. Benedict's Abbey here, uh, Abbot James Albers, he was just Father James and he was my first spiritual director. And I went to spiritual direction because someone said, you need to go to spiritual direction. So, okay, right. you should do that. That's usually how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. You right. should go to spiritual direction. So, okay, I'll go. And I get up there and, I, you know, he, I meet with Father James the first time, Abba James. And he says, well, what's your prayer life like? I'm like, well, I, I try to pray a couple <laughs> times a week. <laughs> he, was, he was like, well, how about you go start praying regularly? Yeah. Do that for two weeks and then come back and talk to me. You know, he's like, you don't have anything to talk about because you're not talking to the Lord. So yeah. to begin with just setting a habit, a routine of prayer, yeah. these small steps. And so I did. My my first steps was uh, trying like three or four days a week, 15 minutes of adoration. That mm -hmm. was my, that's how I started. Um, and that started bearing fruit. And then I finally had something to talk to him about, right? How the Lord was working. Mm -hmm. um, but like Joe, well, Joe set the, set the foundation. I, I went into and became a focused missionary. Um, it was less risky at the time. Still a little risky, yeah, but not as risky risk. as uh, uh, when Joe did it. Uh, and Focus really emphasizes the, the importance of adoration yeah. um, and a life of intimacy with the Lord that overflows into the mission field, overflows mm -hmm. into evangelization. Uh, but we can do nothing apart from him. So uh, that the importance of Christ in the Eucharist was really formed into us and into me yeah. uh, through that time. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. So you, you become Catholic and you say, I'm going to be a missionary. Yeah. And my parents loved it. Yeah, I bet. No, they were freaked out. <laughs> they were freaked out. Uh, my, yeah. Uh, but thankfully they, I, and I actually see these, there's little moments throughout the time with my family on that one that I see as little moments of grace where yeah. God worked in them to make them okay with it. Right. Uh, and to say, well, yeah, we'll, we'll support you. Uh, but uh, what are you going to do afterwards? Right. right I said, right. I don't know. I don't know. The <laughs> yeah. Lord will figure that out too. Right. Uh, but is there, uh, is there any advice that you give to people out there who uh, maybe are listening to this or are some of the only Catholics in their family or something like that? Um, what, what, what advice would you give to anybody out there who um, wants to make that, that, that step, um, but maybe is just scared to, or doesn't know how? No, that's a great question. Right. My main advice would be to, continue to love your family, even in the, the opposition, right? That, um, there's the, the famous, you know, saying that the prophet is never welcome in their own home. Yeah. And, and it'd be, it's, I was one who sometimes got too defensive and say, well, I'm going to do this. Right. And like, well, what happens if this happens or that happens? And what they, my parents might come up with, the the list of, uh, negative things that could happen, sure. you know? And I didn't want to hear that stuff. Yeah. Right. And so I would get kind of defensive. And I think, look back, I think there was times I could have been more uh, understanding that like this is a good parent concern, right? And to say, yeah, I, I see that it's a potential problem, 
but I trust in the Lord, right? Yeah. I'm going to go for it. Um, and ultimately being willing to have the tension, you know, yeah. uh, to have that kind of difficulty, but continue to love them, not be defensive. Um, and of course, express your trust in the Lord. Like mm. it's a witness to your family that says, uh, I know there's difficulties ahead. I know there could be all these things that come up that I can't plan for, but I know that the Lord provides and he's calling me to do this. So I'm, I'm 100% confident that the Lord will provide. Yeah. Uh, and that witness alone, right? That's, that's a great proclamation of the faith to your family. Amen. So, yeah. Can I add something to Please. that? Cause I think that's awesome. I guess so. I, <laughs> and I, I hear this particularly from the men who are trying to figure out, should I give some time and be a missionary? Right. Cause our women just come in droves and there are some all-star women. Mm our men tend to weigh that decision a little bit differently. Like, well, I'm going to be giving up this job or maybe grad school and sure. I'm going to provide down the road. So I need to have this, whatever it may be. And I, I use the tithing analogy. I'm like, look, you know, tithing actually matters, right? We tithe. I've been the beneficiary of people who tithe, right? As a missionary, doing a missionary year or two is tithing your life to the Lord. And, just like in tithing, he says, look, challenge me on that and I will bless you tenfold. Same thing with missionary year. Yeah. You tithe your life to the Lord one year, two years. There is an adventure that you have no idea exists in your life. Mm -hmm. And I've lived it. Matt's lived it. I mean, anyone that I've ever talked to who's been a missionary yeah. has said the same thing. I didn't realize how much I'd be blessed through this in my life. Right. So I would just like to throw that out there too, especially yeah. for our young men, because I think the pressure on you, I know, hey, I got to get that job. I've spent a lot of money on college. I understand that. Uh, this is a tithe. Right. right. So yeah. tell me a little bit about your lived relationship with Christ in the Eucharist today, now. You know, father of six, father of four. Mm -hmm. What's that like? How do you pray? Mm -hmm. I pray about my kids a lot. <laughs> about your kids yeah yeah wait till you have teenagers dude i know you'll it's never gonna, stop praying, gonna get right, crazy, right but uh but at the same time uh it's a uh it's also time to actually not think about the kids for a little bit because they're always wanting your attention yeah. right and that you need the time uh so we have an hour of at, you know part of the parish's adoration uh, an hour of adoration each week for our family. Uh, we got to keep that hour. Uh, if all else fails, at least we have that hour, right? Sure. It's like on the books, I got to be there, right? Um, and uh, and it's helpful. You know, it's so good to have the time that I don't I don't have to do anything else. This is the the one, at least this one hour, right? Hopefully more, but at least that one hour each week where uh, I'm in the presence of the Lord and uh, intern that conversation that Joe was talking about. Um, uh, but yeah, it's become a, a, it's, it's, it's really essential when everything is so busy. Yeah. Yeah. Not just, you have your four kids, you have your spouse, you got your job, you got your friends, right? All these different things. I've coached baseball, basketball, soccer. I've coached all throughout like the last few years, all these things are going on. And then the busyness of life, you go to this place that's intentionally not busy. It's, I kind of talk to the students a lot. They're like, adoration is non-utilitarian. You can't get anything done. Mm -hmm. And it's just supposed to be that way. It's mm -hmm. not supposed to be a time where I go in, especially I, uh, it's tempting as a professor to think like, oh, I go at adoration. Yeah. I, got an, I got a class to teach at 8 a.m. the next day. Oh, yeah. I'll prep my class in adoration, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm doing prayer, right? It's like, no, I'm, I'm taking work into prayer, even though I, I teach, you know, teach church history, I teach right, scripture, right. I teach Christian moral life. Uh, but that 
the outer adoration is time to put work aside and go and be non-utilitarian, non-functional, just be in the presence of the Lord. Um, and as uh, it turns out, it's actually very useful in your life, but that's yeah. not the point of it, right? The point of right. it is just to, to be in the presence of the Lord, to enter in that relationship. Um, and it's really important as life is just very busy and very, you know, uh, sure. utilitarian scheduled things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. That sounds like a good reminder, honestly, Matt, like in the world we live in the busyness, so much of the focus is on what we do that yeah. that can easily become our identity. Yeah. You know, not just as a professional title, but even as like the efficiency of the time we give to the things we care about. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's no mistake in God calls us back into just being like the presence that he desires to give to us and, and the gift that he asks for us to give to him in that is a reminder of the core of our real identity to just be, you know, a son or daughter of his is where our value is. Yeah. You know, young people nowadays trying to figure out this question about what's my meaning, you know, what's my purpose. And the world has all kinds of answers for them that have to do with what they can do, you right. know, and, right. And, and I think God's constantly calling us just in the value of who we are yeah. and, and that that's unmis unmistakable and cannot be replicated in any way. Like the value of our life can mm -hmm. never be filled by another person. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we're human is the, it's the age old saying like we're human beings, not human doings. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we just like, we have to learn how to be, or I mean, that's the call, right? It's to learn how to be so that we can do uh, effectively. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. But then that, there's a habit of prayer that happens, right? An attentiveness and a listening to the Lord, a trying to shut off the busyness and the noise of your mind so right. you can listen to him. Whether it, I mean, that could even be like reading scripture in the presence of the Lord. The Lord speaks to us in his word, yeah. and then you're in his presence. And then what's great about that habit is that that actually does, again, it goes back to the usefulness. It's not the point of it, but it's a habit that you learn so that when you do go back into the world, you can actually... You've built a habit of attentiveness to yeah. your loved ones in front of you or the people that are in front of you in that moment. Virtue yeah. is useful. Yeah, yeah. right. Like, yeah. And, and mm -hmm. virtue is, is a learned uh, and a willed process, right? So the yeah. habitual disposition to do the good thing, that's mm -hmm. virtue. And building that's not always easy, and it doesn't always feel good or warm and fuzzy. Yeah. Um, but how, yeah, it transforms your life once, you, once you've put the work in. To, it just becomes who you are. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I was thinking about like kind of what you were saying, like mowing the lawn for me, I love mowing the lawn. Yeah. <laughs> it's so stereotypical, like classic, just man loves working outside. Um, for that reason though, that yes, it's a useful thing to do, but I, I love caring for the things in like that I've been called the steward, right? I love making sure that our yard looks great mm -hmm. because we have a yard that, you know, should be taken care of. Yeah. And, but like when I'm out there, mowing that lawn, I'm not thinking about a single thing. <laughs> I'm just, I'm there. I'm just being yeah. as I make those perfectly shiny straight strips in the grass. Yeah. You know so, what I mean? So nice. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, that receptivity, which is a word I know we use a lot, but uh, to surrender that to our Lord, he does transform. I'm a, I'm a different person today. He has transformed me through prayer. I hate to think what I would have been, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. All the sins are mine. The Lord is, the, any blessing that has been in my life has come through the Lord and the, the graces he gives to me, my family. Mm. And I am different, right? I am transformed through those prayer times, through mass. Again, this, this is something I, I sometimes take for granted, but it's like, no, Lord, you have transformed my life. Yeah. Right? I, I, I am grateful to you. 
Right? Yeah, you're a new creation. I'm a new creation. Yeah. Amen. Uh, more than a conqueror. More than a conqueror. Come on. Let's go, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a lot of folks out there might be on the fence uh, through maybe no fault of their own or just on the fence about the reality of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Mm. Um, maybe they haven't had that heart to head, you know, connection. moment, the yeah. connection there, or maybe they're just having a hard time wrapping their head or heart around it in general. So what advice would you give to our brothers and sisters out there who, who want to believe but just haven't been able to yet? You know, it's a good question. I think, you know, people are obviously at different stages. What, what helped me, and, I, and I'll reference this book by uh, Brant Petrie, um, there is an intellectual, there's a heritage that I think Matt talked about a little bit, not knowing, right? So, so often I think, and especially more today, we, we're soundbite people, taking the time to actually go back and read, read the scriptures, read good theological mm. books, and study our faith, sure. right? To, to really connect, for me, connecting with our Lord in his precepts and in, you know, uh, just the logos, the, the reason helped me, right? Because mm. I think I had, I had the desire to believe. I think what I needed to do is connect more of the head knowledge. I needed to understand these things, these teachings, right? Sure. And for me, in my walk of life, that really was critical. I know for others, it, it may be the heart. They know a lot, right? Mm. They, 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 they know the head knowledge, but they don't live, they haven't connected it to their heart yet. Um, that's a different kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? Um, what, what does that encounter look like? Maybe it's working with the poor, right? Maybe it's saying, wow, I'm grateful, Lord, for this intellectual gift that you've been given, that you've given me, but I see in the poor something different, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, uh, my brother-in-law worked with... Uh, in a very wealthy area of Chicago, and he had this uh, janitor. And uh, he said to, to my brother-in-law one day, he says, you know, look at all these wealthy people. All they have is money. All they have is money. And this man, you know, uh, people would look, you know, d- not even look twice at, right? He's a janitor. Sure. But this man was a family man. He had a heart. He was, things were in the right place, right? Uh, he understood the world differently, mm-hmm. right? Um, so he had that sense of, of, of the heart of his faith. Uh, so I think, you know, again, there, there are different walks where people are at. I, I guess, you know, I, we always try to start with that self-awareness. Where are you, right? Is it an intellectual problem? Sure. Is it a moral problem? More, more often than not in college, it's a moral problem. Mm-hmm. There's a disconnection, right? They might know the right thing to do. They just can't live it. And so there's that disconnect. So trying to expose them to good witnesses. How do we live this way, the good life? Um, so, yeah. And I was thinking of your, your comment on the like different ways, right, that people approach it. Um, and I thought of St. Teresa of Calcutta and then the missionaries of charity mm-hmm. that uh, they bring the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist and in the poor in their in their charism. It's all together, right? So that St. Uh, Teresa of Calcutta insisted on Eucharistic adoration daily for her sisters where they see Christ present in the Eucharist. Sure. But Christ tells us in Matthew 25, he's present in, in the poor, right? And, and he, when you do this for the poor, you do this for him, right? So then they go out into the streets of Calcutta now all over the world to the poor and they see Christ there. And I can't help but think that the time in adoration, when they can see Christ in bread or what looks like bread, right? Allows them to then see Christ in what looks like disgusting poverty. Yes. Right. Stuff yeah. that we, we would most people would run away from. Right. Yes. They see Christ there. Right. So that uh, 
they form the habit, right, mm-hmm. in both. Right? And I think that's really beautiful. Uh, but to the question, right, of like helping others, yeah, I had a couple of thoughts like, and the first one I, I wrote my dissertation on and my, I guess my favorite saint is St. John Henry Newman, um, who wrote a lot on faith and difficulties and doubt. And there's beautiful uh, kind of paragraph from his autobiography where he talks about uh, his line is 10,000 difficulties do not equal one doubt. And he uses a math problem as an example mm-hmm. or as an analogy, which really works for me because math was like not my sure. thing, right? Um, and so he says like someone could be presented a math problem and they don't have any idea how to answer that problem, but they can still believe that there is an answer. Uh, and they cannot doubt at all that this math problem has an answer, even though they can't figure it out. Mm-hmm. And he says similar things happen for lots of people in, in the life of faith, where there's there's a doctrine of the church, say the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist and transubstantiation, and they don't know how to fully understand it, mm-hmm. but they can still believe in it because the church, which is founded by Christ and given the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth, tells us it is really Christ in what looks like bread and wine. And so Newman says, is it difficult to believe? Sure. But do I doubt it? No, not at all. And there's a big difference between having difficulties, which just means a difficulty in explaining it Mm -hmm. and doubting it. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was my first thought on that is just making that distinction for people. I think for my own students, I've seen that distinction be helpful in in other areas of things. Um, And then the idea of uh, if you're doubting if Christ is really present in the Eucharist, this is kind of a, a, a Pascal's wager kind of argument, I guess, mm-hmm. is try it. Like, go to adoration, act as if Christ is really present there, and make a habit of that. And as Joe was talking about, see how it changes your life. Right? Mm-hmm. A person who makes a habit of visiting Christ in the Eucharist and adoration and going to Mass regularly, right. uh, attentively receiving the Lord in the Mass, will be changed. You yeah. will see the fruit. You will change. And then you will know He is really there because your life is different. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so it's not just a head doctrine. Yeah. You know, it's not just an intellectual concept. It's a reality that changes us. Right. And so I would say to somebody, try it. Yeah. Like, give it a shot. Yeah. You know, the analogy you used with math was really awesome because <laughs> um, it's like, okay, I, I was, I liked math. I, I, I understood it, I, I think, as much as I could through Calc 2. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, cool. I love it. I could actually, I could actually major in this that'd be fun but like you know how useful would a math degree be if i you know don't want to be a teacher i don't know yeah so i was like uh i'm gonna command z get out of that one um (laughs) uh, save the whales um anyway so like even if you someone who does understand math to that that degree like even when the solution is presented you still probably might not understand it immediately yeah yeah um but knowing that it's there on the table before you and this is how it all makes sense it's like well Okay, I trust the teacher. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and he's trustworthy. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's it's like I trust Jesus um, because of everything that he did, and everything that he said, um, and how he backed it up uh, with his life and his ministry. And uh, yeah, just I love the I love the advice of throwing down with the Lord. Yeah. And, and saying, okay, show me. Yeah. Because he will. Right. He will. He's yeah. just waiting for you to ask. Yeah. And apologies to all the math majors out there. We love you. God loves you too. <laughs> no, we need you. We need you. Uh, one thing I just wanted to throw out about being on the fence, I think recognizing that even that positioning is a great gift, mm-hmm. that God has granted you this insight that even presents the possibility of, 
of another option. You know, that that in and of itself is a, is a great gift and that if you can enter into that with a willingness to wrestle and, and a willingness to accept the process, I think a, a lot of it is this impatience that we have now, right? Because we can just Google the answer to something and have that curiosity yeah, satiated right. immediately, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That if it's not a quick and easy answer, we very often don't want to give it the time or energy, you know, to search. But you get one life and this life God intends to be a grand adventure but only you can make the decision to be a discoverer on that grand adventure. It's all mm-hmm. laid out for you. Yeah. And we seek that. Like it's, it's the, the reality of every human soul is to be a seeker. It's, it's why we do ridiculous things and make, you know, terrible decisions because we're just, yeah. we're desiring something more than where we're at. Mm. And, and that, and God made us that way. Like that, you know, any person, even a person you think has nothing in common with you, if you're willing to have a conversation, you'll, you'll discover they're also a seeker yeah. and maybe their seeking is in a different direction, but you share that longing for that more. And if you're willing to enter into that wrestle with the understanding that we, we want to come to a different point in life than we are right now. Like, like you said, mm-hmm. Joe, who we are at 18 is not who we want to be at 80. I mean, <laughs> heaven forbid, yeah. um, but also just the experiences of life. So what is that process? If we can pull back out of the, the immediate, minute that we're in and think just bigger like give yourself an opportunity to just think bigger to dive into the curiosity and wonder and no one's forcing you anywhere but it's just an invitation to just think about more what could that be right you Mm -hmm. know and if you're willing to just crack the door god's going to show up and if he doesn't what have you lost you know you've expanded your Mm -hmm. mind and thought a little bit deeper about bigger things great you know there's worse things to spend your time on yeah yeah i love that uh passage in the gospel where Jesus is interacting with the Syrophoenician woman and she comes to him and says, you know, Lord, you know, mm-hmm. help me. And he's like, I didn't come for you. It sounds very harsh. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't mm-hmm. come for you. And her response is, well, you know, even the dogs eat at the scraps of the table and, and he then blesses her. Right. And I forget which early church father says it, but he says, look, Jesus is that divine healer and he's unfolding her faith. Right. If he didn't have that response, her faith would not have grown. It would have not emerged in that moment to teach us. Uh, my second favorite passage is uh, the centurion, and my students know this. Yeah. I love that interaction because here's a centurion, a Gentile, right? Mm-hmm. He's seeking, but he's seeking for someone else, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, someone who has no rights, his servant, right? This person is, right. is a nobody. So you have this Gentile who's the ruling authority at the time coming to Jesus, who's not in power, right? Mm-hmm. He's not the ruling party. He's a rabbi. And this centurion sees this. He's seeking out because he knows he's heard about Jesus. Hey, I know, I know about you. And I'm a man of authority. And I know how authority works. And you have authority. I don't know where it comes from, but it's authority. And I'm coming on behalf of someone else. So sometimes you see that, you know, with with parents who've had some tragedy, right? Mm -hmm. And they're coming back to their faith because they're seeking on behalf of a healing for themselves or someone else, right? Yeah. So you're right. It, it's we have to invite people to ask those deeper questions, right? Mm-hmm. I think uh, to see how the Lord is working in their life and always to be open to that yeah. possibility. Uh, just to to put our philosophical head on, like passions are natural for animals in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, those mm-hmm. which have an internal motor and you can propel yourself. Uh, Aristotle thought you had a soul, basically. Yeah. Um, so. If you could move and if you could sustain yourself through whatever, you, you had a soul. Um, but us, like the difference between us and like apes and stuff is that we we don't just desire food. We don't just mm-hmm. desire sex. We don't just, just desire like basic physical 
needs. Mm-hmm. We desire fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, and like this adventure that you speak of, it's it's a call for more. We desire more because no matter how much physical stuff we have, we always want more. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. this is the human condition. Um, we want more whenever it's satiated. Our, our desires find true fulfillment in he who does satisfy um, and who satiates our hunger and our thirst. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was Tom Brady after he won his second or third Super Bowl. He was asked that question, like, what does this feel like? Right? You're like on top of the world. And his basic, basic answer was, yeah, is this all there is? Like, mm. really? Like, here mm. I am, the, mm. the goat. And uh, <laughs> yeah. this is it, right? I think, I think that's very telling, especially in our American kind of consumeristic culture. Like we look at that and go, man, he's got it all. And you're like, does he? Right. Yeah. Like even he himself, even he himself admitted that's not quite fulfilling. We'll get the next one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. It's yeah. always for, yeah. It's like, what? Get yeah. ready for the next one. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Well, then it you'll lose and then you'll right. be sad. Yeah. And then you'll ask again, yeah. is this all that it's about? Yeah. Getting old and being forgotten and mm-hmm. having Patrick Mahomes wins all the Super Bowls now? <laughs> that's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah still yeah, debating yeah. that. You got to yeah. throw the Chiefs. Right. Yeah, that's the Chiefs. right. But uh, yeah. So it, it's yeah. interesting that like we, most people know this. I talk about this in my Christian World Life class all the time. We talk about happiness and what constitutes yeah. happiness. And the stu- they know like the world does not have everything that will satisfy you. Mm-hmm. And nonetheless, right, it's still a challenge to believe it and then to say, and the great thing, the church, Christ, the church has a proposal, right? This is the meaning of your life. This is what you're seeking. Um, But it still takes a great supernatural gift of grace for people to actually like believe that, right? right? Um, But the, I think Catholics, we should have confidence in our faith, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, faith in the faith in a way it says, uh, we have this gift that the world wants. They don't know they want it a lot of times, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we've just right. saying, right? <laughs> they right. don't know they want it, but it's what they want. Yeah. Um, and to not think we have to simplify, we have to dumb down, we have to, right. uh, uh, you know, try to make things overly like worldly, right? Or whatever, whatever kind of way you want to put it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to have faith in the faith that what we have, what what we can propose to the world is actually what people are looking for. Yeah. Um, and it's ultimately comes, the, the thing is Christ, right? The yeah. seeking Christ. Uh, I share a uh, speech from John Paul II, I believe it was at the World Youth Day in 2000, um, when he's, he's, I try to set the scene for the students because none of my students were born, anymore, right? We're born, right? <laughs> when JP2 was Pope, they were not alive yet, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember... So I became Catholic when JP, the weekend JP2 died, Divine Mercy Sunday week, you know. Um, I entered the church that weekend. And then I remember Dr. Shree, Ted Shree, uh, at opening class in prayer on Monday, mm. crying because John Paul II had died. Mm. And I had just become Catholic, and I was like, what? What is going <laughs> Like, I get it. He's cool. But man, what, we're yeah. crying, you know? Um, but then you go back and read his yeah. his speeches you just see him in front of people and I'm like I get it yeah I get it and so I try to help my students like see this and we, I give them this the speech he gave um, where he talks about you know is it hard yes young people is it hard to believe today yes it's yeah. difficult mm-hmm. like but don't be afraid right that phrase of do not be afraid mm-hmm. and then he says it is Jesus you seek when you dream of happiness right when is you dream of a life you? not run by mediocrity mm-hmm. right and I'm like this is proclaiming the, the, the gospel to people, right? This is the proposal. Um, it's offered out to the world. And uh, I think a lot of people are, 
they do they do want it right they yeah. want it bad it's just uh it takes some it takes some help it takes an invitation it takes yeah. grace friendship. friendship friendship right like we've been talking about somebody um, to accompany you walk with you yeah yeah i think it's exactly what you talked about at the beginning matt about father brendan's approach to give them what they need wrapped in what they want because i think what the world wants is that fulfillment of christian living it's the, the world knows they want peace mm -hmm. the world knows they want simplicity like that just what humanly drives us what attracts us right the transcendental that grace beauty and truth that the world knows they want those things but they don't necessarily see it wrapped in faith or wrapped in jesus so how do we live a life that is you know, reflecting these characteristics that are attractive to the world, especially now. I mm -hmm. mean, you can say whatever right. you want to the world around us, but the light shines even brighter in the darkness. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. now more than ever, yeah. the smallest things we do that are genuine reflections of hope and mercy and goodness and love shine even brighter. And when we can wrap our faith in that and attract people in that kind of way, then we bring this opportunity for engagement that mm -hmm. isn't forced, you know, isn't obtrusive, isn't... Um, really pushing people because that's what every catholic you know very often early on mm -hmm. in their lives says, I, I don't want to evangelize i don't want to go knock on doors mm -hmm. and you yeah. know <laughs> ruffle feathers or you know have the hard conversation you don't really have to in the world we live in if you're just willing to have a conversation if you're just willing to yeah. own the the root of the things that you're living and actually live into them then you'll find that it's an incredible gift yeah. you know incredible opportunity as much as i would love to continue this conversation uh we have to go yeah and what i know i'm sorry i have to <laughs> i have to put a hard stop on this <laughs> matt joe thank you so much for being here thank you so much for your yes to the way the truth and the life thank you for answering the call thank you for uh your missionary ship if that's a thing, your missionary. <laughs> there you go. Whatever hey, it is. We'll use it. Seriously, thanks for giving, uh, making a gift of your entire self unto the bride of Christ, the church. Thank you for helping us uh, be here. Helping. Thank you for forming us and for leading us and guiding us on the way. Um, just, I speak on behalf of everybody out there. Thank you for all that you're doing here at BC and beyond. So. Thank you, Lee. Yes, thanks, it's been Lee. our pleasure. It's been fun. Uh, this has been New Mana. We'll see you next week.